as we look at Isaiah 26.3, this is the peace that we're supposed to be living in. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So here's the thing. If you're not living in perfect peace, if you would not describe your life as a life of peace, it potentially means you've got some inventory to, to take, right? And, and I'm telling you, many times we could be living in fear and not even know it. Right? You might be one of the individuals that say, well, I've never had like an anxiety attack. I've never had this. I'm cool. But you may be stuck in fear and have no idea. Because here's the thing about fear. Fear can cause long-term paralysis. You don't even know it, but like that, that response to fear a lot of times is to just kind of hunker down and hide. Right? A lot of times fear tells you don't. A lot of times fear tells you to stay. A lot of times fear tells you to hide get down, right? Like all those kind of triggers that tell us something has happened and instead what we do is retreat. We pull away. But can I tell you something that I know for a fact about you is that you are uniquely gifted and called to be doing something, right? Like a commandment Jesus gave that's a very simple one and one that we can all understand was go, right? Go, get going, do something. And each one of you have something you're supposed to be going to do. But fear says the complete opposite. It says pull back, stay. Somebody else has got that. Somebody else can do that. So uh, Paul writes a letter to Timothy, right? Because Timothy dealt with some things, the concept of being young and maybe timid and not stepping out and doing what he wanted to do. So, so Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But of power, love, and self-discipline. So the first concept there is like you have a gift, right? Whether you've understood it or not. We'll talk about how to get an understanding of that. But each one of us has something, and we're supposed to be practicing and fanning into flames. And then God says, because here's the thing. I've given you these gifts of power, love, and self-discipline. Like, those are things I gave you. It's like, it's like a send-off to a superhero, right? Go and do these things because I gifted you with these really cool things that you could do. And then we're like, nah, they got that, right? And, and, and so we take on, that's basically saying God does not give you the fear. We take it on ourselves and stay paralyzed in it. So I want to kind of talk about, uh, as we're looking at what type of things can cause fear, I want to take some moments and, and look at what causes fear in us. Because here's the thing, is, as we look at that idea of like what circumstances can cause fear, I think everyone would get an A on this quiz to this question. Because the circumstance that can cause fear, it's any. Anything can cause fear, right? Like how many of you guys have heard stories from somebody else about something that they're afraid of and just been like, you're afraid of what? Anybody else? Like, I know a guy, okay, so here's the thing. We did hotel outreach not long ago, right? And I'm not trying to put this guy on blast. I'll keep it, you know, anonymous. But hotel outreach can sometimes be a trippy thing. I, I tell you all to try it out, but you see some things, right? You experience some stuff. So you'll see women working because we're on, we're on union. You'll see their employer scouting and making sure they're working and probably packing. You'll see somebody just give a head nod, and then suddenly there's a handoff of goods. You see some things, right? You see some things. Give it a try. It's not that bad. It's not that scary. But it's trippy. So we're out there with this guy, and the, 
And you would think some of these things might make you a little bit uneasy. You know, it is what it is. But what he couldn't handle was when a cat came out from under the car. <laughs> I don't play with cats. I don't like, I get it. I don't like cats. I hate cats. Cats are the worst. No offense to those who are cat lovers. Cats are the worst. So, like, I understand that. But I've never seen a cat and been like, oh, you get that cat away from me. Because... <laughs> But, like, people go through some random stuff, and it leaves, like, some kind of weird fears, right? I know a lady, we're walking out of church together, and a pigeon flies by. She's, nope. Mm-mm. Right? And she goes cowering back inside, and I'm like, what is the worst thing a pigeon can do to you? We all know, right? Duck and dodge from incoming missiles. But, like, outside of that, there's nothing, like, you're afraid of, but no. Here's the thing. I didn't know, but she got attacked by a bird. I don't, you don't know the story. You don't know what's caused. So there are just some random things that cause some random fears. And so what we're going to talk about are like the main triggers, right? So the, I want to connect us a little bit to some of those triggers and, and talk about the disciples, right? So as we're navigating this journey together, we're going to navigate and compare our lives with the disciples' lives. Because here's the thing. We know the disciples end journey, right, what they ended up doing, like, we know about Christ because of the disciples. Like, clearly, they did some amazing things, and they were willing to, to put their lives on the line. All of them died a martyr's death other than John. But John got the experience of being boiled alive and had his eyes gouged out because he believed in Jesus. That's why you put your kids in kids' ministry so you don't hear them, you have them hear those things. But, like, there are some pretty serious things that happened to these disciples because they were fearless about Jesus' name. But there was a time when they weren't. There was a time when they were full of fear. So we're looking at John 20. We're going to be studying this kind of in depth as we go further. But as we're looking at this scripture here, to give you context, it's going to start off and it says that Sunday evening. So this is the Sunday um, post Jesus' crucifixion, but pre-Jesus' revelation of resurrection. Okay, so they're still kind of in this limbo portion here, right? And so it starts off, it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind, what? Locked doors, because they were, what? Afraid of the Jewish leaders. These are, Jesus, at no point in his ministry or his teachings to the disciples said, when I go, lock it down. Hide out. Never you're going to find that in Jesus' So. They knew that there was something they're supposed to be doing. They were taught it again and again and again. But the problem was they experienced some serious things that caused them to have some serious fears. So we're going to take a look at that and see what moments they had and what moments we have that can cause uh, fear to paralyze us. Okay, so that first moment that can cause a, a, a paralysis is your failures. Right, your failures. How many of you guys have failed? Right? I got some epic failures on my list. I'm not going to lie. Right? Like, I'm talking about some of us have those failures that anybody do this where, like, you're laying in bed at night and you go back through them in your mind. And it could be so real to you that you still get the sweaty palms. You still get the fight or flight. Right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, like some of those failures are like you went and asked a girl out and she just laughed at you and you're like, <laughs> and you, like, still remember those moments. Right? But some of those moments are, like, serious failures. Like you stepped out and thought you were doing something amazing and instead it fell flat. Or maybe you were the cause or you had the affair. Maybe you made the major mistake that 
hurt your family. Maybe you ended up in a serious addiction and it hurt those that you love, right? There, we have all experienced some epic failures that sometimes cause us, instead of stepping out, to step back, right? I mean, the disciples understood failure. I could just point out one, Peter. You guys may be familiar with Peter. Peter was that dude that, like, the moment he hit the mountaintop, he found a way to jump off, right? So, like, you have Peter. He's so bold and so cool. When he sees Jesus walking on the water, he's like, me too. That's cool. The other 11 disciples weren't down. They're like, we're in the boat. We're just going to wait for Jesus to get here. Peter's like, he's out of the boat. I want to find a way to get there. So that's some cool boldness. So he steps out, but then what happens? He walks on water, then fear hits him, and he's like, hold up. I don't know the physics of walking on water. Nobody does. Does the wave hit me and fall, or do I go with the wave and kind of put, right? So he's analyzing this. He gets freaked out, and Jesus has to help him up. It says, Peter, why'd you doubt, man? You're already walking on water. Like, how would I not have you? Peter later is the one who's like, Jesus is like, who do they say I am? And, Jesus is the one, oh, and Peter's the one who gets it, right? And he says, you're the Messiah, and they're like, and Jesus is like, yes, Peter, well done. And says amazing things about Peter. And Peter's like, yeah, I'm pretty cool. And then Jesus is like, here's what the Messiah must do. Because you just said I'm the Messiah. And here's what the Messiah is going to do. And Peter's like, no. You, Messiah, are wrong. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't go over well. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's not a great uh, follow-up, right? That's some epic failure. And then the most epic of failures. We're, again, we're getting legit. Now Peter is standing there with Jesus, and Jesus says, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to abandon me. And Peter says, no way. Not me, Jesus. I'm with you till the end. And Jesus is like, Peter, like, you're going to do it three times, dude. No way. And then Peter, do you know Jesus? I don't know that guy. Three times he does that, right? So, again, mountaintop to epic failure. And I think we can all associate with that. And that leads Peter behind locked doors, right? That fear. The second thing that we can walk into that causes a, a paralysis is betrayal, right? Your betrayals. I know when I said that, all of you guys were like, ah, yeah, I remember, you know, pleasant. I remember my betrayals. No, betrayals, they, they leave you a little hurt, right? Like, they leave you a little wounded. They leave you because here's the thing. Betrayals usually come from people. The moment you trust somebody, sometimes those are the exact people that end up hurting you. Stabbing you in the back, talking about you. Sometimes you were the betrayer, right? So a lot of times what can happen is as we face these betrayals, we start to withhold more and more and more until to the point where we're just pulled back from all people because we don't want to be betrayed anymore. But people are the exact people we're supposed to be reaching out to. So we get that paralyzing fear. I mean, you want to talk about betrayal. So we read the Gospels, and that's how we get to know the disciples, but we don't really get to see, like, how close they would have been uh, behind the scenes. So these guys spent three years together, locked in, right? They did everything together. They would hike together to go to these different uh, places that Jesus needed to minister. It was just the 12 that would go place to place to place and really get to bond and know each other. So in the middle of this group, you have Judas, right? We all hear Judas, like, oh, Judas, he's the worst. The disciples did not think that until the very end. They loved Judas, Judas was their dude. I mean, when Jesus kept saying somebody here is going to betray him, none of them expected Judas, right? They thought Judas was the man. So much so that Jesus is like trying to get it across to him. So he says, I'm going to dip my bread in this stuff. Whoever dips it in after me, that's the guy that's going to betray me. And they're like, all right, we'll figure it out right here. Jesus dips. 
Judas dips instantly, and they're like, who could it be? There's, if only somebody gave us a sign, right? Like, they just never expected Judas because he was so close. So you want to talk about betrayal. Judas goes as far as to betray their Messiah with a kiss on the cheek. That's some, like, that's an intimate betrayal. That's your brother betraying the one that you love so much. And then goes and commits suicide so you don't even get, like, reconciliation, a conversation, a reason why, anything. It's just, it's done. No revenge, nothing. It's over. So again, their betrayal could have caused them to lock the doors and say, I'm done with it. The third thing could be your disappointments. Right? We, we've all faced some disappointments. Some high, some, some major disappointments, and some minor disappointments. But the weird thing about disappointments, sometimes they carry the same weight. Right? We have like a hope, a dream, pie in the sky. This is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be about. And then you take inventory and you're just like, ah, it's not what I expected it to be. And, and what can happen sometimes with that disappointment is like, well, I'm just not going to try anymore. I just don't want to be disappointed anymore. Imagine the disciples as they're following Jesus for three years. Three years. Right? Like, they gave up everything. So when we're talking, I, I mean literally, they, they had occupations. They were fishermen. They, they had jobs. They were tax collectors. They had ways that they made their, their money. They left it all instantly and said, I'm following the Messiah. And then they spent all their time away from their family for three years, spending their time with Jesus, thinking that this is the one. This is what we came for. This is everything for us. And then crucifixion. And in their minds, death, it's over the disappointment of we just gave everything caused them to become recluse and fearful and afraid because, again, they've just dedicated everything for three years, and in their minds, it just got closed off and cut off. And so sometimes for us, we dedicate so much and we push it so far, then it just didn't turn out what we thought it would be, and we lock the doors, and we say, well, it's not worth trying anymore. And the fourth uh, area that can cause that paralysis is your losses. I'm not talking wins or losses, right? I'm not talking about your football team. Like, Raiders, you need to come to terms with your losses, right? They're going to come aplenty, right? We, at some point, you just come to terms with it, you know what I mean? But, but in, in, in real, like, being real, I, I'm talking about, when I'm talking about your losses, I'm talking about that thing that we all hate and mourn, and that's death. Right? When we have a family member, like a major thing that can happen to young kids is when they lose a mother or father or brother or sister. Because from then on, their mind is trained like they could go at any time. Right? They're not going to see the signs that somebody is ill and they're getting worse. In their minds, they were just here. Now they're gone. So I can't put my stock in anything because they could just up and leave at any point. I'd like, it causes that kind of feeling of like I'm not investing or like the loss of a child, right? When you, when you put everything into it, you lose it. You just feel like, well, what's the point? Or, or how, can I, how can I trust or love or put myself out there because I can't get hurt like that anymore, right? Loss is real. And loss can cause some serious uh, fear and paralysis and make you really just whether you're, not, whether you're understanding it or not, you create a wall. Because the moment somebody gets past that wall, there's risk. There's potential, right? And so here's the thing about it is we're talking about perfect peace. That doesn't mean risk-free. Okay? It's, it's, it's different, okay? And so when we're talking about this idea 
of, uh, of, of losses, the disciples lost a lot. Like I just spelled out, they spent three years, occupation, away from family. Everything was invested in Jesus, and they lost him. He died. He's not there anymore. Like, like the loss there, but then to think of like everything they would have thought of what he, who he was and what he was going to do, you're talking about the Messiah, the King of Kings, right? The one who's going to bring Israel into all its glory. Like, this is him. And then just done, right? Over with. So they understood loss. And the last thing I want to touch on uh, that I think can cause that paralysis, and one of the major, major ones is your trauma. Your trauma. Your trauma can cause some serious fear in your life. And trauma is one of those things that everybody experiences different forms of trauma, um, and everybody reacts differently to trauma. Trauma can be in different ways, and trauma can, you can't really measure it based on someone's trauma to the next trauma, right? Trauma can be, you know, your trust in a mother or father that's betrayed by the way that they interact or physically touch you or, you know, verbally attack you. Trauma can be the, the loss of somebody. Trauma can be a million different things. But when I say trauma, I'm sure for many of you who have experienced this serious trauma, it's there in your mind. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some people even measure like, you know, we talk about B.C. and A.D. We measure time through Christ and the before and the after death. Many of us can measure our lives, and we measure sometimes by trauma. We have the before the trauma and who I was, and then we have the after trauma as to who I became. And sometimes that person you became is fearful whether you're willing to admit it or not. And it caused you to cut some things off and be cold in certain areas that God never intended for you to be. Okay? And so when we're looking at the disciples, we probably don't realize the amount of trauma that they would have experienced seeing their Messiah on a cross. Okay? We wear the cross and we kind of we celebrate the cross because we've come to know what it represents. It means something different. Because I'll tell you right now, it means something different if you saw someone crucified. That was like, when they do, historians, when they do research, it is the most, like, excruciating capital punishment that has ever existed on this earth, is crucifixion. So they didn't just see Jesus die. They saw Jesus killed and murdered and put on display naked for everybody to see to cause like the whole point of the crucifixion was so if you were thinking of doing what they did you would stop and say no way I'm not doing that because I don't want to end up there if you followed this leader right Jesus was a leader so he was crucified for being named the king of the Jews and king of kings and so Rome would say well you're in rebellion to Caesar so he's crucified and displayed so the followers were meant to look and say I'm not following him I don't want to be crucified, right? So serious trauma to see something like that, which clearly caused them to say, lock the doors. Because it says to lock the doors because they don't want the religious leaders to see them. Because they don't want to be put on display, right? So we have a ton of things that can cause uh, fear to, to cause us to isolate. But a major thing that causes that fear is really what it boils down to is your fear can be caused by a false expectation of Christ, that's really what it boils down to in the end. See, because the disciples in their mind, they had an idea of what Jesus was going to be bringing to the table, what, what it meant to be the Messiah and what it meant for them to follow him. He's the king of kings. Like, we're going to inherit some super dope things. Right? That'd be my mind. Like, what's in it for me? 
if you're going to be king of the whole earth, I at least get some acreage, right? Like, like I'm getting something out of this. Instead, what they witnessed was traumatizing, completely opposite. See, in their minds, we can look at 2 Samuel 7, 16. It says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That's the Messiah. Forever we're going to have a throne. This is going to be amazing. Crucifixion. That is their expectation of what the Messiah was going to do was severely cut off and disappointed, caused trauma, and in the end, caused fear. When you in your life step out and you say, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do that. And then you had a false expectation of what that meant. You thought life would be smooth from then on. There ain't no bumpy roads with Jesus. You just float. It's just cool. Everything just falls away. Can I be honest with you? Actually, promise like the exact opposite. You're promised you're going to have trials. You're going to have issues. You're going to have difficulties, right? So Jesus is talking about this with the disciples. And again, he kept trying to prepare them for what's to come, right? So we're looking at John 14, 27 through 29. So John, the disciple, is writing this. And he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, right? So this is Jesus talking. He's telling us, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Like, here's a gift for you. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I'll come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who's greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that, what they, so that when they do happen, you're going to believe. So when they did happen, what did the disciples do? Locked the door and freaked out. Jesus kept trying to prepare him, and he says, I've got a gift. I've got peace. I've got all these things so that when you go through that difficult time, you're going to be okay. But instead, and again, we have these promises, and instead, we slam the door, and we lock ourselves up to prevent ourselves from putting any risk on the table, okay? The thing is, when we have that mindset, sometimes we like to, to think we're protecting others, or we're protecting ourselves, or we're protecting our family by net stepping out. The truth is, you're afraid. You have fear, right? And you're not dealing with it. So again, as, as we're looking at this concept of moving past fear, right? Uh, we've looked at the disciples in their lives. I want us to look at like how Jesus approached that fear that the disciples had, right? How, how, how did Jesus help them move past their fear? So we're going to pick back up on that, on that John 20 where we were at earlier, okay? Where it said the disciples were behind locked doors. So to set this up, the two of the disciples, Peter, John, go running to um, Jesus's tomb to find out what's going on, right? There, there, there's a point now where you have to go through certain, um, you know, processes for a decomposed body. So they're told the stone has been turned away. So they go running, and Mary's with them, but Mary can't keep up. They get there, they go inside, and Jesus is gone. Everything's laid out. So what they do in response, rather than listening and remembering all the things Jesus said, they freak out, and the two leave. But Mary stays, and she's crying, and she's freaking out, and she's upset, and she sees a gardener, and she thinks the gardener stole Jesus. She thinks the gardener took the body and is just hiding it somewhere. So she tells the gardener, like, if you took my Jesus, can I have him back, please? And the gardener is Jesus. Surprise! And Jesus is like, Mary, it's me, right? So he's, he's sharing now with Mary a message. He says, go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father, your father, to my God, your God. 
So Mary goes, she finds the disciples, tells them, I've seen the Lord. Good news, right? Then she shares the message of where Jesus is going. And after they hear this message, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So, like, they know Jesus is doing his thing. They know where he's going, and still they're behind locked doors. So, here's Jesus' response. Suddenly, like instantly, Jesus was standing there among them. There he is. We got locked doors, and there he goes, right? So, they're already freaked out, and they're terrified. So, Jesus appears there, and he says, peace be with you. How do you think that went? Right? I'm freaked out. I'm locked inside. We're hunkered down. Jesus appears like, peace be with you. He's like, okay, well, I'd have more peace of you to walk through the front door and done your invisible act. Like, that probably would have gone better than just appearing here with us. But, so he spoke and he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. Because he's like, still calming them down. Like, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am what? Like, go, right? Get out. Stop being here behind locked doors. Get out, right? I'm sending you. Okay, so here's what they do. So then he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you give anyone sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, he's not there. So they told him, we saw him. And he replies, I don't believe you. I need to see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, place my hand in the wound in his side. So we all blame Thomas for this, but the shocking thing to me is what happens eight days later. Eight days later, where are they? The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. Go. I'm sending you. Do these amazing things. Okay, lock the doors again. They're locked up again behind closed doors, right? And as before, Jesus jumps in among them and says, Peace be with you, right? The main idea is that the disciples needed a few kick in the pants to finally get going. Jesus' main command was go, go out, go and do what it is that I've called you to do, what I've been grooming you to do for the last three years. But fear had its grip on them, right? And, and, And I want us to understand, like, they probably, it was more evident to them, I'm sure, But sometimes when we're dealing with our fear, we don't realize that the door is locked. We don't realize that we're hiding out and doing ways. But the thing is, drawing back to this idea, I need you to understand again this concept. Just as the disciples were needed, so are you. Like you specifically. Not your neighbor, not your kids, not your wife, not your husband. You specifically are needed because you specifically are gifted and called in a way that your neighbor is not. Like, we need all of you to step out and go. So what fear is holding you back? See, the thing that we have to understand is we can't lead with or, or live in fear anymore. We have to lead with love. That's the shift the disciples finally got. It was more about love than it was about fear. You're called to love those who betray you. Bad news, but news indeed. You're called to love everybody, and love is called to go, not shelter. I love this quote by Bob Goff as we're kind of analyzing this difference between love and fear. He says, most of our decisions are driven by either love or fear. Figure out who's doing the talking, then decide what you'll do. If fear's telling you to hunker down and hide, 
you need to decide to do something different. If love's telling you to go, you need to go. If love's telling you to step out, you need to step out. If love's telling you to pray for somebody, you need to pray for Love is always an action verb that's calling you to go and do something. It's time for us to go and do it. Amen? So we're going to look at, like, what are some of those steps that are going to help us as we step out? Because uh, a major concept we need to understand is you're called to step out. And like I said, when you do step out, here's the thing. You're not prevented from, like, when you step out, it's not all going to work out perfect. Because here's the promise you have. You have a promise of peace in your circumstance, not from it. Okay? The disciples didn't step out and have, like, a really, like, carefree life. They had a very difficult and full of hardships and full of constant uh, difficulties. But the thing was, they had peace in it, not from it. They didn't avoid it. They jumped into it. But they knew the whole time they had peace and Jesus there with them. So as we're looking at uh, walking out and stepping into this, this life, you're going to face trials. That's the guarantee. You're going to face difficult situations. It's a promise that's been given to us. So how is it that we can frame our life or, or what promises can we remember as we're walking into these difficult circumstances? So we're going to walk through some steps that you could take as you end up in situations that may cause fear. And we're going to give you some tactics that you can use to get out of that. Amen? So the first one, when in a trial, not if in a trial, when in a trial, you have to remember that he has overcome it. It's done. It's over. As, as we look at John, right, John, John spells this out so wonderfully. Jesus is telling me, he says, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me, and I've told you all this so that you have peace in me. Because here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Anybody not on earth that I need to be aware of? Right? We're all pretty much here, right? So if you're here, you have a guarantee of trials and sorrows. But the coolest part is the next part. So you have guarantees, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So again, we're all on earth and we're all facing trials and sorrows of earth. And Jesus says, okay, you can take all those things that are on the earth, and here's the thing about them that I know. I've already overcome it. So when you're in those situations, you have to have that understanding and know the ending may not be the result I want. It may not be pleasant. It may not be perfect. It may not be what you would have written if you were writing your own story. But here's what I know. Whatever the end result is, as difficult as it can be, Jesus has already overcome it. So I just want to kind of sit on that for a second because I think someone needs to hear it. Jesus, no matter what you're facing, no matter what trial you're in, no matter how difficult you think your future looks, no matter how difficult you think your past looked, the thing is Jesus has already overcome it, okay? The second thing, when hope seems lost, Anchor your hope in him. Okay, not, not, I love my family and they are so much to me. But if I anchor my hope in them, it's going to cause so much fear and, and just 
difficulty because I can lose them, but I can't lose him. Right? So as we're looking at that, as, as we go through, uh, the author of Hebrews spells this out so well. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. So therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And that hope that lies before us is this, that hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So, I mean, I'm not like a, I don't pilot ships or whatever you do, you pilot ships. I don't know what you do with ships, right? I don't do that, but I know I did a little research. And when it comes to anchoring down a ship, you don't anchor it where you want the ship to be because here's the thing. It's going to continue to go away from wherever you drop that anchor until it sets, right? So the concept was you took that anchor and you put it somewhere else, away from the boat. And that anchor would keep you where you needed to be. So the author of Hebrews, what he's trying to get you to understand is that if you drop that anchor anywhere, anywhere here on earth, your hope can be lost. Because anything on earth can be taken. Like, it's, it's, the, it's what we know. But once you take that anchor and you place it at the right hand of the Father, right where Jesus is, and you say, that's where my hope is. Like, nothing can touch that. You can lose a loved one, but guess what? If their hope is anchored in him, then that's right where they are too. Nothing can touch that hope that you anchor in heaven, okay? The third thing is when we face failure, we have to remember it's not forever. When we face failure, guess what? You live and you're breathing, you're going to fail. It happens to the best of us, right? I raise my hand like I'm in that group, not in the best of us. We all fail. We all fall short. It's just what we know. As long as we're living and breathing and talking and making relationships with people, we're going to fail. Paul writes in Romans this idea. Paul understood failure, man. If Paul was a Jew that went around hunting and literally killing Christians. This is a job. He was employed to do it, right? So it wasn't like he was figuratively saying, like, I can't stand that guy. I want to kill him. He was like, I can't stand that Christian. I'm going to kill him, right? So Paul understood this idea of failure, and this is what he writes. He says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us, <laughs> freed us from the penalty of sin. No matter what your past looks like, and Pastor Jason in the first part of the series did a great job of spelling out how your past can lead, or, or living in that trauma can lead to some serious issues and how we could come out of that. If you haven't heard that, go back to that. Give it a listen. But what we're talking about here is this understanding that when you fail, you don't discount and pull back and think that it's all lost. When you fail, you realize Jesus already paid the penalty for it. Give it to him, right? Just don't let that failure hinder you from what it is that God is calling you into. Because again, when we fail, we say step back. But what God has said and what Jesus said time and time again is go. There's no step back. Like, let's go together. Yes, you failed, but let's dust ourselves off and go. Okay, and so there's a question I want us to, to ponder a little bit as we're wrestling with this idea of what fears can hold us away from and how we could conquer those fears. So hopefully you're equipped now, and I want you to really think about this question. That is, what do you feel called to do that fear is telling you not to? The 
guarantee is you're called to something. So I want you to understand, like, that's status quo. That's the guarantee, okay? The starting off thought process is I'm called to do something. So what is it that you feel called to do that instead you keep saying, no, that ain't me. It is. You're called to do something. Really think about that. Discovery does a great job of of setting you up for that type of success, right? You have so many ways that you could step in. We're doing track one next week at 1.30. And track one is spelling out the story of discovery, connecting you to it. Pastor Jason will be leading in and, and help you understand what discovery is about. And then the following week, we do track two. And that is the opportunity to find out, like, what am I called to? Like, what has God uniquely gifted me to do? And then it's not just like, all right, now chill in that and ponder that and lock yourself up behind closed doors. No, then it's, now how do you do it? And we get you connected to a team. Start fanning that gift into a flame, right? Like that's the whole idea of, of what we do at Discover. We have outreaches. We have first impressions. We have kids ministry. We have so many different things for you to step out and start practicing your gift and to no longer live sheltered away and in fear. Amen? So again, think about that. Like ponder that. Not just right now. As you go home, what's, what am I holding on to that's preventing me from stepping out what God has called me to do? Amen.